Welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Richard Hatchett, Senior Nurse Editor for RCNI, who published Nursing Standard, and I'm a registered nurse myself. And today we're looking at CPD, Continuing Professional Development, as part of revalidation. And I'm joined by Jill Coverdale, Professional Lead for Education at the Royal College of Nursing. Hello, Jill. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm not too bad. And we're both registrants. And I revalidated, I think it was last year, it was quite recently. And I think you're revalidating this year. I, I am, Richard. I'm revalidating in November. So I am um, bringing my portfolio together and I try to have my um, meetings. So I'm actually in a position to revalidate long before it's actually due in, in case of anything that um, hits me sideways. I think it's always a good idea to be well prepared. So that's that's your first tip of the day, Jeff. It certainly is, yes, yes. I mean, it's worth saying as well that um, I was formerly the um, head of education standards at the NMC when revalidation came in. So I've got a little bit of inside knowledge, but obviously um, both of us are uh, reflecting or discussing today based on our own personal experiences, though obviously we'll stick to obviously we'll stick to what the NMC require. But this is very much a discussion around CPD, what you can use, some of perhaps the pitfalls that people may find and so forth. I suppose the first question, Jill, is what are we counting as CPD? Well, for me, um, CPD is any learning that you undertake so as a nurse or a nursing associate or a midwife undertake that influences and impacts on your role as a as a nurse or a midwife or a nursing associate. Um, and and that you can utilise to influence your your sphere of practice and as we know um, you can uh, revalidate as a as a nurse um, through being in clinical practice or you could be in a research role in an education role in a policy role in a leadership role so it's anything that actually impacts and influences your practice going forward so it's quite wide-ranging isn't it Jill we're not just talking about certificates it could be reading an article it could be a blog it could be a meeting so the actual resources that you can use are quite wide yeah and i think just to remember that you are exposed to a raft of different learning opportunities informal as well as formal so it it might not be that you're sitting in a in a classroom or you're listening to um, a lecture, you're exposed to learning opportunities during your practice um, hours as well when you're in practice. And um, if we think about man mandatory learning is not permissible for revalidation, what's important to say is if that is actually impacting on safe practice for you. So I use an example of um safeguarding for myself when i was a school nurse my mandatory safeguarding um training actually had a huge impact and influence on my um role as a safeguarding nurse within that service so have a little think about although it may be mandatory there'll be other learning that you do around that that actually does can be used for revalidation because it absolutely informs your practice. 
I suppose the key to this is what underpins a lot of revalidation's reflection. So what you're talking about there is though, for example, a meeting or a, a big activity, we're talking about safeguarding, it is really anything that you can realistically reflect yeah. on related yeah. to your own practice. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and I think the NMC are really keen that the hours that you have to um, undertake to meet the revalidation requirements um, absolutely do impact on your sphere of practice. So it's really important you choose CPD that is going to actually inform what your role is, whatever your role is. Um, I think that is so important. You can justify its inclusion in your revalidation portfolio by in that way. I think later, Jill, we're going to touch on this idea of using different sources, but I suppose it's worth mentioning from my perspective here, if you use a variety of sources, you could, um, rather like safeguarding, look at a particular topic from different angles because you're using different resources for CPD. Therefore, one could argue that um, helps develop your critical thinking because it's looking at different angles, different perspectives, different yeah. viewpoints, et cetera. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, really good point, Richard. And the other I was thinking is, of course, we all learn differently. You know, you may be somebody who um, can learn and reflect better by somebody explaining something to me. I might be somebody who can read something. Um, a long article wouldn't bother me at all for other people. They prefer it in bite sized chunks. Other people will, you know, watch a YouTube clip or whatever. And we'll, we'll touch on quality in a minute. So I presume also by by having a variety of sources, you can fit into your own learning style. Yes, and I think especially as we have been um, in this um, pandemic, there hasn't been the opportunity for people to necessarily come together in a in a classroom of learning. But that doesn't mean to say you're not undertaking con continuing professional development. There is there is so much out there, bite sized learning, um, attending webinars, seminars, you know, that online learning, um, even self-service lear online learning that you're undertaking all is part and parcel of your um, CPD. And it's really important to remember that. I mentioned, Jill, you know, YouTube and Googling things and this sort of thing. Um, if we're talking quite broad range in terms of CPD, how do we assess the quality? How do we know that what we're looking at is is of good quality to reflect on? It's competent. It is it is valid. Yes, I think that's a really good question and something to think about. So for me, um, you know, when I was um, a, a senior lecturer, I would be saying to my students, I don't want you to be uh, referencing Wikipedia. So it is about how do you know what you are watching is relevant? And at the moment, I mean, there's a lot of um, learning is um, recorded via YouTube. So it's looking at who's who's delivering the learning. Is it um, a credible a credible professional? Is it being hosted by a credible organisation such as the RCN or it could be NHS England or um, National Education Scotland or whoever? Look at who's hosting that learning and development. Look to see if um, it's accredited or endorsed by um, 
a professional organisation such as the Royal College of Nursing, if it's one of the charities that's a credible charity in terms of learning and development, might be one of the other nursing organisations like the Foundation of Nursing or, or Florence Nightingale. So be really clear um, about who is it that's supporting this and um, promoting it. Many of the online webinars are offering you um, the opportunity to reflect on them uh, or the opportunity to um, keep that invitation for your portfolio, uh, suggesting how many hours it might be towards your CPD. So look at the, the credible source. Is there anything else that you'd add to that then, Richard? I know we talked about the smell test. Um, didn't we, you know, how valuable and safe some learning is? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's always difficult when there's a uh, mid ground. I mean, as you said, if you, you've got a, if you want to use a YouTube clip and, you know, it's presented by Jill Coverdale and your title is on there and it's endorsed mm. by the RCN or whatever, it's very clear. I think it gets into muddy waters where there is somebody pops up and I think it's important to remember that confidence and competence don't always go hand in hand Absolutely. and somebody can be very confidently presenting something and I think my own area is cardiac I think of ECGs there are many clips on YouTube where they aren't very good mm. um, and that's a skill if that's what you were looking at where you have to get those leads placed exactly where they should go and if somebody doesn't measure it correctly etc they can be doing that absolutely confidently but it's not a competent piece so I think it's, it's difficult where there's a, a mid-ground I think there are a number of answers to that if in doubt leave it and find your source from somewhere else mm. and the other I think is as we were saying earlier to look at a number of sources so I would be and I think I did use um updating on ECGs in some form or other when I did uh, one of my revalidations. Um, I looked at a number of different sources so that you are, if you have any doubt, you're diluting down any possible incompetence there. So you could use a variety of sources. Um, I suppose also talking to other colleagues and saying, look, I'm looking at this clip, what do you think? Oh, well, I'm not so sure, etc. So I think where it's, um, you're right, really, you should try and rely on something where it's fairly clear. It's um, got a university badge on it or it's somebody from a healthcare organisation, a paramedic explaining this and they've got their name yeah. and so forth. You can never be absolutely certain, but you know, you, you can be pretty certain things are, are valid, I think. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, and, and not to dismiss, um, you know, um, learning that is on YouTube. You know, I think prior probably to the pandemic, we might well have dismissed that, but because that's been an absolute great way of many of the recorded um, seminars and webinars being able to be hosted, um, there is there are some uh, really excellent um, opportunities out there and uh, often if you've attended it they'll send you a copy of um, you know the the the, the, the um, learning that you've undertaken um, so that you can keep it and look at it again as well so that's really really useful I wonder Richard um, whether we ought to talk about why there's um, an emphasis on participatory learning with the revalidate the NMC revalidation, which we didn't have before revalidation came in, because um, I think it's worth us also thinking. Of, I know that we've had many inquiries from people about 
their worry about getting their participatory learning and what what you think about why there's such an emphasis on that? Yeah, that's an important question, Jill. Um, there's 20 hours of participatory learning. I think there are two answers to that from my perspective. One is what is participatory learning and how do you achieve it? And I think it's, um, again, another situation where it's clear when you're sitting in a room with others, although you may go on your own to a study day and feel that you're not participating with anybody, but of course you are, you're listening, you're formulating your own ideas and so yes. forth. Um, but also small group teaching and even one-to-ones. It's one or more people. Yes. So participatory learning is important, I think partly because we work in a dynamic profession where we're working with people, but it's about getting somebody else to expand our thoughts and our reflections, really. So people can challenge you and, you know, there are different perspectives and you think outside the box sometimes. And um, somebody may say, well, if you think of it from another angle or have you thought about this? So there's often that two way process of challenging your thinking, which takes us out of our um, steadfast assumptions and expands our thinking. So mm. I think that develops your critical thinking. I think the other thing is, and you have this with the reflective discussion, is people can also add to your CPD resources and say, I see you've done this and this. What you ought to do is read Jill Coverdale's article on so-and-so because that gives a different perspective, that gives a yeah. different angle. So I think it is about expanding your thought processes, it's challenging you, it's removing your biases. These are all not negative things at all, it's just helping you to grow within your profession and uh, think outside the box a little bit. Does that answer your question, Jill? Yes, it does. And I think the other thing to think about with participatory learning that it's not about it absolutely isn't about sitting in the same room, as you said, you know, yeah, you can yeah. have participatory learning in a virtual environment. And what I often say to people is think about, you know, if you're in a webinar and you have the opportunity to ask a question or even answer a question or suggest a different way of looking at something, as you've just said. Some of the other things that I've advised people about when they're worried about participatory learning is, you know, over the last, remember that your revalidation is over the previous three years. So in that time at the moment, we've got, you know, how to apply PPE. How do you use equipment that you required for COVID patients? Um, what did you have to learn if you were redeployed into an unfamiliar area? Um, discussing staff briefing, briefings, um, all of the things that you might well have been engaged with others in doing what actually in practice. So there's lots of examples of where your learning for your revalidation is participatory that you might not necessarily have thought like that before. So absolutely, I think we've really clearly identified ways in which people can, um, can, can gain that participatory learning. And I think it's a, a definite positive um, in terms of revalidation. That was one of the really good things about revalidation, the new, the new way of revalidating. I think the other thing just to say on that one, Jill, is um, if you think about what the reason is behind, behind uh, participatory learning and push it a bit further. So I could sort of said at the moment, you know, even if you're sitting in a room, you're listening to people. I think it is honest to push it a bit. And if you can, to ask questions and mm, to yeah. um, pop notes in the you, yeah. you know, text box when you're yeah. online and so forth, rather than 
thinking, well, I'm listening to other people, therefore it's participatory. It yeah. is, but I think it's, the onus is on us to push it to get the it, most it out is. of participatory. Absolutely, it is. And you know, if you were if you were providing evidence that you had been in that type of learning, that you you could you know um, show where you have made that discussion, where you've asked questions, where you've put your viewpoint forward, that kind of thing, when you're reflecting on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wonder, um, Richard, if we're thinking about uh, using CPD material, can we, you, can, do we suggest people use it from the same type of source, um, a, a web page, all in one web page or all in one journal? What, what do you think about that? I think it's a good question. I mean, when we're talking about the same type of source, if somebody said they made up all their hours, um, by reading journal articles. I think it would be difficult to do that, obviously, because mm. of the participatory element, or I just went to study days, etc. Now, yeah. when I did my last revalidation, I actually was doing a counselling course that ran over a number of years, and I could have used everything from that. Yeah. Yes. In reality, there were different sources within there because we did role play, we did lectures and so forth. But even with that, I counted some hours for that and then I also looked at other study days I'd attended, articles I'd read, uh, maybe there was a blog there that I contributed to and so forth. I do think for the reasons we've talked about, if you think about what we're actually doing here, I think it's good to have different uh, sources because it challenges you in different ways. I think it stretches your learning because you're reflecting the real world where we're getting material from all sources etc. But I do think I just think it's good practice to do that. And um, I think it challenges you more. It le lets you look at things from different perspectives. And as we said, if you look at one topic from different sources, I do think you gain a lot out of that. I mean, what are your thoughts, Jill? Yeah, no, I quite agree. Um, I think you, when you present your evidence for your por portfolio, which obviously we know sits in your portfolio, it's yours, but it, what you might put forward, it'd be really good to show that you've um, done some reading, that you've done some engagement with others, that you have um, looked at a piece of research or being involved in. Other things to think about in terms of um, different sources is thinking about your contribution to consultations. So the learning that you you might have uh, gained from that, you know, things like consultations, the NMC might be asking for or people like NICE um, or 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 even if you're um, on a committee, uh, like I've just um, become a trustee. So the learning that I am um, gaining from being a trustee is, is profound. It's really, really um, valuable. So once again, my evidence that I'll have of, of my learning across the last three years will be of various types. And I think that is really valuable. Um, to you. I, I was in a similar situation finishing um, a degree. I wouldn't have put that as been my whole 35 hours of, of revalidation. You know, it's one, one element of it. So lots of variety, I think, is the, the tip there, if you can. Absolutely agree. Let's look as we um, head towards the end at some of those problems that um, I'm sure you you will say, Jill, don't inevitably come up. You can problem solve some of these so you don't get a problem. Um, but I'm thinking about um, what do you do if you've lost or do not have a certificate from a study day? 
Well, for me, um, you may not. There are lots of study days and webinars where you're not going to get a certificate. So and that's not a big problem. Um, you'll have the invitation um, that you may use uh, as evidence if you were requiring it. The, the fact that it's in your diary, um, your reflection on it, your notes from it. So don't worry if you don't have a certificate. It's about you um, showing that you did attend that and the fact that you've got the agenda or the contribution that you made in that study day will be absolutely fine. Just to remember, not all study days have a certificate and you shouldn't turn them down because they haven't. If I can just add to that, um, I think you would agree people need to worry if they didn't attend the study day and they're saying they are. That's it. Yes, if you just attended it. You know, even if somebody came back to you, you could demonstrate in that some way if you hadn't demonstrated that enough. Yeah. I mean, I had um, somebody I uh, was a confirmer for some time ago who filled out their CPD log. And um, this is absolutely true and had two study days written on there. And I said, oh, wh where's the evidence? Oh, I, I don't think I have the certificates. We were running out of time. What I suggested there was quite simply, I said, contact the organiser and get them to send you another certificate, PDF it. We can look at it. I said the alternative is just get them to email, validate the email by putting their name and contact mm -hmm. details on to say you've attended. I think everybody would agree what you can't do, even if you're under pressure as a confirmer, say, oh, well, all right, you attended that because people can put down <coughs> You, you've got to have that evidence because it's a serious business being a confirmer. It's about public safety. So, um, yeah. you know, uh, you, you've got to get um, the evidence. But I totally agree with you, um, Jill. Not everything can be certificated. It's thinking, how would I demonstrate that? The other thing I think we get asked a lot when we do the RCNI job fairs is about hours on um, certificates because a lot of certificates don't i can think of several organizations where they'll give you a certificate and the hours aren't on it and people worry a bit they worry if it's not signed this sort of yes, thing yes. Um, that's not overly important it is self-regulation here so yes. be sensible if you had a this is my answer to this one Jill. if you have a study day from 10 till 5 i personally put down those hours 10 till 5 because yes. you know are we getting into the situation of i was in the toilet for 15 minutes yes. or uh, I have my lunch because even at lunch you're going around the exhibition, you're listening to people and so forth. So I would say it's a study debate. day. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jill. Yes, you're having discussion and debate, and you are you are utilising that time. Uh, you're not kind of only learning for an hour of it, are you? I think what I'd like to just come back is is that role of the either if you're in the role of the, the reflective discussion person you know having that well tell me about that um, that cpd how did how did you feel about it what were the haha -ha moments uh, what are you going you know what you're going to do because you've been on that study day um and once again that confirmation if you're in that role just in just having a a, a little explore with that person so that you yourself are confident that they have really got something from that learning i think that is 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 more important to be honest what to do if you're running out of time, Joe? Well, for me, I mean, I I've just said I, I'm revalidating in November. I'm at the point now where most of my portfolio is complete. It takes me a long time to write my reflections. So I tend to do them over the three years. I would always say to people, you start your next revalidation 
when you've just revalidated. So I know it's every three years. Don't leave it until six months into the last six months of the third year. Keep um, keep folders, keep information, keep evidence, keep um, anything that you think will impact on your your CPD um, going forward uh, or your, you know, your revalidation portfolio. Just do it in really good time. OK, so lastly, Richard, I think it's oh, it's really important for us to think about is, is CPD just as valuable when it's developing those softer skills? I believe it is. I wondered what your thoughts are. Well, first of all, I hate the phrase softer skills because it makes them sound fluffy and woolly and not as important. And I think we've got to remember there's been a number of scandals in the UK over the last probably longer than a decade now, or I'm thinking of the high profile ones, where a lot of that was about what we might term mm -hmm. softer skills. I know it wasn't completely unique to that, but about communication, about empathy, compassion, etc. So I think they're incredibly important and I would not want to differentiate. And I think what you've been talking about, Jill, is, you know, it's what's relevant to developing you. If you're somebody who, when you're reflecting and you're thinking, actually, when I was watching my colleague, Jill, I love those interpersonal skills and there's something that is being a barrier to me, really enhancing my practice, then to you, they're not soft skills. They're the most important skills or some of the most important that you can develop. So I agree with you entirely. They're all very important. They are the glue that pulls us together. Um, so often in healthcare organisations, complaints come around communication and those sort of things. And of course, I would also say, what are soft skills? Is anybody able to find exactly what they are anyway? Yeah. So I think it is about reflecting personally on the whole dynamic nature of nursing and have a look at the code, you know, wherever yes. you are in the world, look at the code, because look at all of those softer skills are threaded all the way through integrity, compassion, you know, um, say person centred care, but that's slightly off centre of the softer skills. But I think they're all important. It's about you as an individual realistically reflecting and being honest with yourself as to areas where you could realistically enhance. So I have a slight problem with softer skills, but I know what you're getting at. I think they're all important, Jill. I, I agree. I think anything that um, in when you're thinking about your learning, anything that benefits your patients, your service users, improves the quality of the services that you're delivering. It can be clinical skills. It can be communication skills. It can be that compassion, that empathy, that respect. So they're all very important skills to have and develop as a as a, a nurse or a midwife or a nursing associate. Lovely. Thanks, Jill, for spending half an hour with me going over CPD and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Lovely. Thank you. Good luck, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.